Hey, we are excited that this is Family Day, that we are in a season of church where we can still embrace this and, and we can still all fit and gather in the same room together. Uh, so we want to make sure that we uh, utilize that season. And, and so I'm excited that we get to do this right here. Uh, we today, not only is it Family Sunday, it's Baptism Sunday. And that's why you see uh, the baptistry down here. We're going to have some people saying yes to Jesus and water baptism. Is that exciting? Isn't it? That's so good. Incredible. And then also right after service, we have our family. Oh, that thing fell. We have our family lunch. And so I would invite all of you guys immediately following service to join us for lunch in the student center straight through the cafe area there. We have it set up a catered lunch uh, brought to you by you. You guys provided that. So thank you for tithing because you provided lunch today. Can we give it up for those people that made this happen? Yeah. This thing does not want to work today. Uh oh. And so we are uh, excited that we get to fellowship together. Uh, and not only that, we had a lot of newness going on. Today we start a new book of the Bible. Uh, how many of you guys enjoyed Ephesians as we walked through that? That was so good. And, and just it uh, helped us stand firm in our faith. It helped us be equipped uh, to put on the full armor of God. And today we're just staying with that mindset, given the culture we live in, the conditions of our world. I think it is appropriate for us to start today uh, 1 Thessalonians. And the goal is, is to go through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And so that's why the series is just called Thessalonians. And uh, because we're going to tackle this book chapter by chapter, and we're going to let the Word of God speak to us. And I, I know that you will find it is so relevant in the world that we live in today. And so today I want to attempt to go through chapter one. Um, I would encourage you to read this during the week, to study it out. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Uh, today we're actually going to read the whole chapter. So uh, if you've never, kids, if you've never read a whole chapter of the Bible, today you're going to do it, okay? And, and it's only 10 verses, but uh, before we read today, let me set the scene so that we can understand what's happening in Thessalonica, okay, the city where the Thessalonians dwell. What's going on there? Well, you can mark in your Bibles or take it on your notepad, you can write down Acts chapter 17, because in the book of Acts chapter 17, we see where Paul first encounters the, uh, the Thessalonians. And, uh, and so it's a great time to read about that, because in that, it shows us that Paul was only there for three Sabbaths. So he was only there for three weeks, maybe almost four weeks, we don't know, but three weeks that he was there and he was teaching them. He was preaching in their synagogues. The Bible says that uh, he had just got done with this mighty move of God and he's entering into the city. He's preaching there and, and a mighty move is happening. People are converting. They're turning from their wicked ways, turning from their false gods. And so it's easy to say that revival was breaking out in the city. And anytime revival breaks out, anytime there's a move of God happening, not only is there revival, but there's also riots. There's also Satan that, uh, that is trying to counteract what God is doing. And we see that in Acts chapter 17, if you studied out this week, where the, a move of God happens and then a move of Satan happens. And that's how it works, that, that not only is there God and his uh, spiritual forces, but there's also an enemy, an adversary, somebody who opposes what God is trying to do. And, uh, and we see that take place. It gets so bad in Acts chapter 17 that the riots are so intense that Paul has to flee. 
He flees to another city. And let me just expose the strategy of the enemy. The riot goes with them. And, uh, and so they riot in that city as well. And uh, that's just what Satan loves to do, to follow uh, God's people around city by city and cause opposition and cause hindrance to the move of God. But God's word prevails because we see that as Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonians, we see that, man, Paul is blown away. He's thinking, it's only been three weeks and he's worried. He's like, three weeks, that's not a great church plant strategy. Like, uh, you know, that doesn't work for today's models. Like that goes against everything that a church plant organization would say. Like you need more than just three weeks to have a, a, a good founding church, one that would flourish and one that would stand strong. But Paul gets word that less than a year now, uh, after only three weeks of him being there, that the church is not just surviving, the church is thriving, that they are growing in their faith in the midst of all the opposition, in the midst of all the rioting and all the pressure. The church is not just hunkered down, uh, doing life together, but they are actually flourishing. And so we're going to get to see how is it that, that, they're, that they're flourishing. And I think it's important to note that um, the city of Thessalonica is in central Macedonia. And I think that's relevant for us today because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you actually planted a church in Macedonia. Uh, this past year, well, we took $10,000 out of the tithe. Now, I didn't even have to raise a special offering for it. We designated out of our missions budget uh, $10,000 to go towards a church planning movement of a ministry we support. And I just want to bring news to you today because we just heard a couple of weeks ago that actually they used that $10,000 to plant a church in, in Macedonia. And I've got a couple of pictures for you I want you to see on the screen. Uh, yeah, they got a storefront building. It's still, as you can see, it used to be a Cadillac dealership. Come on, God, look at you. And, and so, uh, so a Cadillac dealership and they're renovating the place. They're going to have a soft opening uh, in a couple of days, actually. Uh, they're going to have a grand opening later on. And so we're going to get to get reports from that and see uh, how, the, how your financial blessing multiplied and fruitfulness and salvation happened because of this. I think it's really also cool. I love how God is so strategic Check out what's across the street from this church. Hit the next slide. That is the Macedonian parliament right across the street. Okay, so their government building is right across the street from an Assemblies of God church that you planted. And so thank you for your generosity. Uh, that, when we say you're not just giving to the church, you're giving through the church. I'm telling you, it happens every single week. And so thank you for that. So that, uh, if you will, that's kind of the place that Paul was preaching the gospel. And it's so cool that we get to be a part of a church plant uh, right there. And so, uh, so we see that uh, this church is in the middle of riots and outbreaks and persecution and all that. And Paul gets word that they are flourishing. Uh, and Paul begins to write to them. This is actually one of Paul, this is probably Paul's first letter that he wrote to a church. Okay, and so, um, and so this is one of his earliest writings. Many theologians believe and scholars believe that this is the first one, that this is the first time he wrote to a church. And so it's really cool that we get to, uh, get to see that. And notice as we go week by week, chapter by chapter, every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians mentions the, the return of Christ. Every chapter mentions the return of Christ. And you'll see that in our reading today uh, as we read that. And so... Uh, another thing that's really interesting about the church there is they took the return of Christ so, in, uh, so real and they took it so like this is about to happen that Paul's actually in 2 Thessalonians going to talk to them about how they stopped working. 
They like gave up, they just stopped their jobs. They stopped everything. They just, they were like, God is about to return right now. And so we got to be ready. And so he gives them some instruction. He's like, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? And so uh, it's really cool that we'll get into that in 2 Thessalonians. But let's jump in today in 1 Thessalonians and read what God has for us today. Uh, I would love, I know the kids are in the room. I know it can be a little hectic, but I would love if we would stand for the reading of the word as we find our place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, pull them out or the screen behind me has the words. If you have found your place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and you're ready to read, kiddos, say, let's go. Let's go. There we go. It says this, Paul, Silvanus or Silas, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's bow our heads and pray before we're seated. Father, this word right here is not just text on a page. This is no ordinary book. This is your word. It's real, it's alive, it's active, it's sharp, it, it changes us. And so, Father, we want this word to change us. And so we do our part of opening ourselves up to the great physician today. We open ourselves up to you, God. Change us, make us and mold us, remove things, add things, whatever we need to do, God. We say yes to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As you're seated today, we're going to talk around the topic of the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. I don't know about you, but uh, in my life, when I was exposed to the gospel, man, it, was, it came to me with power. It changed me. And it was the power of the gospel that, that I saw in my life. It's the power of the gospel you saw in your life. It's the power of the gospel that this church in Thessalonica, they saw in their life. And they saw it in just three weeks in three weeks, Paul was with them. And Paul says, I give thanks to you. That's why he opens up the Bible, the, the chapter here. He says, I give thanks to God because it's gotta be God. Like it wasn't me. Three weeks, are you kidding me? This has to be a move of God. And so Paul says, I give thanks to you. And then I want us to see today how the power of the gospel took place in their life. 
and how that same power can take place in our life. And so we're gonna learn from this church today. This, by many measures, would be considered a a new church, a a baby Christian, if you will. And we're gonna learn from them and how the power of God, the power of the gospel totally transformed their life. And we're gonna apply it to our life as well. And so I want us to see how this happened. Off, off, the, off the cuff here, off the jump here, verse five, we see how this happened. It wasn't a strategy, it wasn't a serve team, it wasn't a building project, all those things are wonderful. But verse five says, it was because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power. Somebody say power. And in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So Paul says, I didn't, I didn't just preach to you with words. Now words are necessary, right? Like we need to have words. You need to open your mouth and communicate the gospel. But he said it wasn't only in words. There was something else accompanied with this. And this is, and this is how we need to understand the gospel is that we, we have to open our mouth. We have to preach. That's why Romans 10 says, how are they going to believe unless somebody tells them? And so we don't believe that, that, that sticky statement that goes around in circles a lot of times, especially Christian circles that say, well, well, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. No, no, it's always necessary to open your mouth and to preach the gospel. But it can't only be in words because the gospel that's shared in word only is just informative. It's just informative. It's just good principles. And it's, the gospel is not designed to be that way. It's not designed to just be head knowledge. Oh, just, I'm just going to take this because it's good. It'll make my life better. I'll apply it to this. I'll, I'll get better in this area. You know, it'll make me a better person. No, no, no. The gospel is not designed to just make you a better person. The gospel is designed to make you a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So the message of Jesus Christ can't just be with word only. Paul said it has to be, be with power. You see, power makes all the difference. The gospel shared in word and power is not informative, it's transformative. It's transformative. You see, information might change my mind, but transformation will change my heart. And the gospel at its core, changes the human heart. And so we don't receive the gospel in word only. The reality is for some of us, we're in word only Christians, that we just take the Bible as in word only. We just take it as information, apply it to our life, try to add it to our life, try to make my life better. And we just, we come to church because the word says, we, we give because the word says, we, we tithe because the word says, and we add all these biblical principles to our life, yet our life has not changed. There hasn't been a transformation on the inside of us. And that's what the gospel does, that it not only comes in word, but it comes in power. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that'll change you from the inside out. And so may we be a church that preaches the gospel, not in word only, but in power, the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can see lives changed. We want that power. And that power is not my power. That power comes through the Holy Spirit, God's very spirit. And that's why we are always constantly saying that we want to create this environment where we can have an encounter with God. That God's presence, yes, is everywhere. And God's presence, yes, dwells in us. But throughout the scriptures, we see where God's presence will manifest himself in an environment where his praise, where the people's praises are going up and God's presence comes down. And that's the kind of power that we need, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so 
When it's in word only, it's informative. It makes my head puff up. It makes my brain have new wrinkles. It makes me smarter. But when it comes in power, it changes that which is wicked inside of me. That which is dirty and filthy and sinful, it changes the human heart. And Paul says in verse 6, this is what happens. It says that when, you, when it comes in word and power, it says you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You see, there was much affliction in the times. There was much affliction in the land. There was persecution. There was riots in the middle of it all. The believers there who received the gospel message were able to have joy. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, my emotions are like a roller coaster. You know, anything can, can affect my emotions. You know, that's why we don't base our decisions off of emotions. Because if I base my decision off of emotions, then the, the goal line is constantly moving. But there is something, an emotion you can have on the inside that's not based on how you feel. It's not based on the environment around you. It's based on who dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit produces fruit in you. And so the power of the gospel produces joy. Joy. It produces joy. Not joy in the good times, but joy in the bad times. It must, it must, must much affliction. And much affliction and pressure. That word affliction there actually means pressing. Like they're pressured. They're stressed. I don't know about you, but I feel like the world's stressed, right? We're, we're stressed people. We're under much anxiety, much pressure, maybe pressure to conform, pressure to give in, pressure to give up. And the gospel is reminding us that you can have joy in the middle of it all, that you can have something that the world around you does not have. And that's why they're, that's why they're rioting, because they want what you have and they don't understand it. Because it's not physical, it's spiritual. You can have the joy of the Lord. It can be your strength. And this reference here, this verse of having joy and affliction is actually a contrast to a parable that Jesus taught about. Remember the parable of the soil where he, he described, Jesus described the, the gospel going forth. It was seed that was being sown and it was falling on some different types of ground. And we had four different types of ground. And one of those grounds actually talks about receiving the word with joy. And this is where we are contrasting here, uh, comparing and contrasting uh, what we're reading. It's in Matthew chapter 13. Look with me at Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, so that we can understand how to have this type of joy. It says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when stress, pressure, affliction, tribulation, persecution arises on the count of the word, because it will, what happens? He immediately falls away. Why? Because he had no root on the inside. Because it wasn't transformative for him. It was just informative. He received the word and it was up here. It never got into the depths of his soul, into his heart. Remember, the gospel changes the human heart. And so you have to let it take root. You've got to let the Holy Spirit dwell in you. It is the Holy Spirit that can give you joy in the middle of a chaos. It's the Holy Spirit that allows that word to take root and produce fruit in your life. 
And so we don't have joy just because everything around me is going good. I have joy in the middle of chaos at rock bottom. When everything seems to go, be going bad, I can still have joy. James 1 really sobers us up. When James talks about consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face good times, happy times. No, no, no. He said trials of many kind. I mean, you know about some trials of many kind, different types of trials, right? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's endurance. Let, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so when we can have joy in the middle of chaos, we have hope that we can persevere and become mature is what he's saying. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit will get us out of this affliction, but oftentimes the Holy Spirit's just with us in the affliction. And so don't for a moment doubt that the Lord is with you because things are going bad. In my life, I often doubt if God's with me when things are going good. I'm like, okay, God, am I, are you sure? Like there's no headwind right now. Are you, are you positive that we're, we're doing the right thing? Because anytime you're walking out the plan, the calling, you're being obedient to what God has for your life, there's gonna be opposition. And so we should not run from it. We should expect it and embrace it because what is it doing? It's maturing us, as the word says. We're growing and we're being fully complete. And so when it's going too good, I start to ask the Lord, Lord, are you sure that I'm heading in the right direction? So the gospel came not only in word, but in power and it transformed them. The power of the Holy Spirit transformed them and it produced joy in their hearts. And so they began to walk it out, live it out. They were transformed. And look at, look at verse nine. This is what they did. Because it wasn't in their head, it was in their heart. It says that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so when the people there, Thessalonica, heard the gospel, it was presented with, with such power that they received that power and it changed everything for them. I think it's important for us to understand that the power of the gospel not only produces joy in your life, but it produces repentance. Now that's a church word right there, repentance. Repentance, that simply means to turn away from something and turn towards something. Okay, so when I'm repenting, I'm repenting, I'm turning away from my life of sin, that which does not please God, but that's not enough. Oftentimes we stop there. Oftentimes we just do a, a 90 degree. We just stop, okay, I turned away from it, but we never start doing something, turning towards something. You've got to turn toward the things of God. And you've got to start walking out that life that was just transformed. And so it's not good enough for us just to turn away from it, we got to turn towards God and begin to walk that out. And so that's what they did. They repented. That was that word there. They turned away from it. They made a pivot in their life. They stopped doing something and they started doing something. I just wonder today, what is it that God's going to speak to you and say, what is it that you need to stop doing? What is it that you need to stop? What is it that you need to start? And here in the context, the scriptures, they stopped worshiping idols, idols. Now, Throughout the whole Bible, we see idol worship, this false worship to dead gods, to pagan gods. But what, what is an idol? If you just get down to the core of it, what is an idol? Well, I think we should understand that God, first of all, wants all of our devotion. He wants all of our loyalty. The Bible says he's a jealous God, that he wants every affection. He wants every attention to be on him and him alone. 
And so if it's not, if our attention is not, if he's not first in my life, if, if, if my love is not, is not to him first, if my actions are not to him first, then whatever is first, that's an idol. God wants to be first. And so as we examine our life and evaluate our life, if there's something in there that's, that's not first, if God's not first, then that's an idol for us. And so we see that idols are things that we worship, that we show them how much they are worth to us, worship. We're worshiping that thing. It, for some of us, the re- reality is it could be your job. It could be sports. It could be your children, relationships. You could put things ahead of your relationship with God. And that becomes an idol. But when the gospel transforms you, you should turn from those things. Turn from your, your wicked ways. Turn from idols. Turn, turn towards the living God. The reality is for some of us in the room today, today's the day that we turn, that we do that church word and we repent we, because the path that we're on, living for self, living for desires, going towards the sin in our life is a path of destruction. The scripture says it's a path of wrath, that wrath is coming, that judgment is coming. I think it's sobering for us all to understand whether we're a child of God or that we're living in this world and not a child of God yet there's still gonna be a, a, a judgment day. There's still gonna be a day where we stand before the Lord and we, we are gonna be in two camps. We're gonna hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into your reward, or we're gonna hear, depart from me before I, before I never knew you. And you will respond like the people in the scriptures. Well, didn't we go to church? Didn't we tithe? Didn't we serve? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he says, I didn't know you. You see, the gospel the power, the good news of Jesus. It's not religion, it's relationship. That he wants to know you, that he wants to know you. And so because you turned, because you repented, we can read in verse seven that they became an example. Look at it. So you became an example to all believers. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't even have to correct you, he said. We ain't got to say nothing about that. You became an example. That word example there, if you want to write it in your notes, it means pattern. It was a pattern. They became the standard. They set the pattern. And so this is what everyone around them saw. This was the standard of Christianity. This is, everybody else is bowing down. Everybody else is giving in. Everybody else is, 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 is conforming to the mob and surrendering to the mob. But these Christians, they set the standard. You see, the power of the gospel produces a pattern for godly living. Produces joy and hardship. It produces repentance. And Paul here is just praising God for them because of that pattern. They, they, they didn't give in to the pressures of the world. They didn't surrender to the pressures of the world. They surrendered to the power of God. And that is the tension that every believer faces. Do I conform to this world or do I conform to God? Do I let him transform me? That's why we, we love the, the scriptures, Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the Holy Spirit renew you. And so these believers, they set the example and people saw it. It says their faith went forth. Can I tell you today that your faith is going forth, that it is being preached. Whether you want it to, whether you know it, it is being preached that people are seeing your faith. And they are determining what Christianity looks like, what your God looks like based on your lifestyles. 
The reality is that you are the, the Bible that some people will only ever read. You're the only Bible that some will only ever read. You're the only Jesus that some people will only ever see. And so we got to look at our faith and see, is it one like we read in the scriptures, a life of transformation, a life where we're turning from the things of this world and turning towards God? Or are we word, Christian in word only, where we just have the label? Yeah, people know I go to church, but my actions don't line up with it. That's what we're comparing today. So they, their faith went forth. They set the example. You know this, we need godly examples. We need godly examples in our world today, in our workplace, in our schools, in our government, even in our church. We need godly examples. We need people that they, other people can mimic, right? If you have children in the room, you understand that they mimic you, the good and the bad, right? They mimic you. And so we as Christians, we want to be a good mimic of our faith. We want to represent Jesus well. We want our children to see us and to see how to worship God, how to serve God. That's why we do these kind of days. It's not just because we, we want a break in the kids' ministry. No, no, no. They, your children and grandchildren get to see you worship. They get to see you put God first. They get to see you open your Bible and mark it up. They get to see you take notes. They get to see you give something that the world does not understand. The world says, get, get, get. I need to get mine. And I need to be about me, myself, and I. And you, and you pull out your checkbook or you get on your phone. And you say, no, 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 I'm going to give. I'm going to give first. I'm going to be generous. And you're teaching your children godly principles that is going to set them up for success so that they too can receive the gospel. They can be transformed by the message of Jesus Christ. And so we're setting an example becoming imitators of the Lord. And so since you received the gospel, not only in word, but in power, and you didn't give in to the pressures of the world, here's what was produced in your life. And I'm gonna go all the way back to the first couple of verses as we close, and we're gonna see just a brief overview of what happened. Here's the pattern that was set. We see it in verse three. Paul opens his prayer with this. He says, remembering before God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's the pattern for godly living right here. He says, work of faith. That is faith that produces work. That sa saving faith produces something in your life. Now, works do not save us. We understand that we're saved by grace alone. But when I am saved, I am changed and it produces things in my life. Those who are saved will naturally demonstrate good works. That's why James 2 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So the gospel must be demonstrated, not just discussed. The gospel must be demonstrated, not just discussed. So, so when you're in your Bible study, when you're in your connect group or your journey group or your accountability group, it's not good enough for the scriptures to just be discussed. You can't just be talking about it. You gotta be living it out. It has to be demonstrated. And then he says the labor of love. What is that? That is love that produces labor. That means I love God so much that I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And I'm, I'm doing works, I'm, I'm serving others, I'm laboring. That word means hard work. I'm doing hard work with, with expecting nothing in return. So I have that labor of love. And then he says, 
steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? That's hope that produces endurance. That's hope that produces endurance, that I can stand firm. What is my hope in? My hope is in Jesus. Why is my hope in Jesus? Because he's coming back. He's coming back. We'll see that there's three main uh, themes here in 1 Thessalonians. Trials are gonna come, temptations are gonna come, and Jesus is gonna come. And so that is our hope. And we live in a world that is hopeless. We live in a world that has no hope. People are giving up. People are losing hope. People are throwing in the, tie, the towel. And the reality is, is that Christianity doesn't uh, uh, immune you from this. You, you don't just get to be removed from the temptations, removed from the trial. A Christian and a non-Christian go through the same things. A non-Christian just looks out and responds with fear. A Christian looks up and responds with hope that he's coming back that I can endure for just a moment, that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we wait, we wait as the church did, we wait for him to come and to deliver us, deliver us from the wrath to come. The reality is, is that there will be wrath, there will be judgment. We don't like to hear it or talk about it, but God will come back and pour out his wrath of judgment. But he promises the church that he will spare us from that wrath, that he will save us. Jesus is, is our salvation. So the gospel not only pr- produces joy or repentance, the power of the gospel produces salvation. Salvation, that Jesus is our savior. And the reality is, is today, today the power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit that's in the room is gonna provide salvation for many of you. You're in the house today and you're far from him. You're in the house today and you have not repented and turned. Today is that day. Today's the day where you fully surrender over to God and receive salvation. Receive the fruit of the Spirit, joy and peace and patience, gentleness and and long-suffering that you, as now a child of God, can have joy in the middle of chaos, that you can have what God called you to have. And so now we're gonna turn into a time of reflection where we now bow our heads And we think on what God is doing, the power of the gospel. What is he doing? What is he saying in my life? In an environment like this, with children in the room, this is the moment where God will begin to draw children into a relationship with him. And so parents, in this moment, I would encourage you to talk to your child and ask them, is God speaking to you? Let's let the Holy Spirit speak as we bow our heads and we pray, Father, Jesus is the hope of the world. We put our hope in him. He is our plan A. There is no plan B. And Father, we thank you that you are the way, the truth and the life. And we thank you, Lord, that when we gather, the church, the ecclesia comes together as broken, as filthy, as dirty as we are, you make something beautiful. And this is beautiful in your sight where Generations are worshiping you. Generations are making decisions for Christ today. And Father, we didn't just come to have a show or come to have a good time. We didn't come just to apply some biblical principles to our life and make me better. No, 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 Lord. I came to be transformed by you, to be made in the image of Christ. I don't need a better Michael. I need a new Michael, a new life in Christ. And so, Father, I thank you that as our heads are bowed and we're reflecting on what you're speaking, I thank you 
that your Holy Spirit is drawing us in, pulling us into a relationship with you. And so, Father, may we respond accordingly to what you're saying. If you're in the room today, Romans tells us that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, then we shall be saved. If you're in the house today and you've never repented, turned, turned away from sin, the things of this world, and turned towards God, today is the day. This is your most important decision you'll ever make, is going from darkness to light. And we're going to ask you to do something today that's not embarrassing. It's a bold act of faith. We're going to ask you to lift your hands so that we can see who we're praying for today. Then you're going to put them down. We're going to go back into worship. Our prayer team will be along the walls. They're going to pray for the needs of the house. There's people in the house that will respond because they have issues in their, in their body, issues in their marriage. They have things that they need people to pray with them about. I would encourage you to join those. Go to the prayer team. Let them know your decisions. Let them know what God's doing in your life. Parents, bring your children. Children, bring your parents. Respond to what the Lord's doing. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you're in this moment today, and you say, the Holy Spirit is drawing me into a relationship with Him. Today is the day that I surrender to Christ. I'm giving my life to Him. Would you lift up your hands and say, today, that's my day. I see your hand. Anybody else? Today's my day to surrender to the Lord. Yeah, I see your hand, sir. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand, daughter. Yep, I see your hands. Anybody else? Today's the day that I surrender to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand, yes. Yes, in the back, yes. Let's put them down as quietly as we can. Can we stand to our feet? We're gonna stand to our feet. We're gonna continue to worship. After worship's over, we're gonna... We're going to watch baptism happen. And we're going to participate by celebrating. We've got people today that are going to get baptized. There's some in the house today that maybe you're feeling right now, today's the day I need to get baptized. And I didn't sign up. We're ready for you. If you today would like to get baptized, we have all that you need down here, towels and clothes and all the stuff that you would need today. Would you come down front here? My wife, Tony's down here. She'll give you everything that you need. Every time we have baptism, somebody spontaneously gets baptized and that's okay. We're gonna celebrate. Maybe, maybe it's somebody that just gave their life to Christ. Today's the day that you're gonna get baptized. And so let's pray together as we celebrate. We're gonna worship for just a moment, respond in the altars, respond to the prayer team, and then we'll start the baptism. Father, we right now, we thank you that you are moving in our midst. We thank you, God, that you're drawing us into a relationship with you. And so Father, in this moment right here, God, we just, we just lift our hands and surrender and praise and, all, and adoration to you, God. And we just declare with our mouth that you are awesome, that you are worthy, that you are holy. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that just draw, drew people in to a relationship with you. They went from darkness to life, new life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We worship you right now in spirit and in truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen as we worship together? Come on, amen.